The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Book Club Show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana Mahmood and um, I hope you are having a, a wonderful morning so far. I have had a bit of a lie-in, to be honest, after the school run because Ramadan, I think as you know, beautiful a month as it is, it can be timing, especially when we get to um, the last few days. But alhamdulillah, you know, I hope everybody has had um, a wonderful month um, full of blessings, full of mercy, inshallah. Um, and obviously, I assume everyone's now going to be excited um, for Eid. I know my children are because they will be expecting uh, lots of presents. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm also really excited about today's show. Um, I am joined by a wonderful guest, um, Tahir Adil, who has written uh, a poetry collection called Lost and Found. Um, so to give you a quick introduction to Tahir, um, Tahir is a Luton-based poet and spoken word artist. He has an MA in creative writing and poetry from the University of East Anglia. He was poet in residence for Wells Next to the Sea in 2019. His poetry has also been published in Ambit, Smoke Magazine, The New European, Gulf Daily News, Glassworks Magazine, TEDx, Poetry London Magazine and Poetry Salzburg Review. So that is a awesome, awesome um, introduction to um, an even awesome guest. Um, and the book itself, I'm going to read um, the blurb just to give you an idea of what um, the book Lost and Found is about. Um, so sometimes only words could unveil truths that we have forgotten. Sometimes only letters can pierce through shields that we hide behind. Sometimes only sentences written at the depth of night can bring forth light. Sometimes only poetry can heal the wounds that life leaves behind. Um, so that's an example of um, Dara's wonderful writing, which is uh, on the back of um, uh, this book, which is Lost and Found. Um, so I am going to introduce our guest. So assalamu alaikum, Dahir. Alaikum assalam, Imrana. Thank you for having me. Really honoured to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join us as well. Um, so maybe just to start off, how has your Ramadan been so far? Um, Ramadan's been great. Uh, I think consciously I've accepted that it's a few less hours or an hour less than in the previous years. And mm. I remember struggling in the previous years. Mm. And I think that conscious reminder has helped a little bit, especially in the final hurdle. Mm. And it's uh, yeah, somewhat of a, a marathon, like you said, the final few days, just struggling with that. But we get used to it after a few days, don't we? Yeah. Um, so that's where we are now. Um, at, at the final few days and, and there's a bit of sweet uh, nature to the end at the final days of Ramadan I feel mm. when you know it's a Ramadan gone whether it's you know one to return we will never know but it's a blessing that's right yes absolutely absolutely it's always um, important to know that obviously if we're blessed to to see another month and you know inshallah that you know otherwise is um, accepted as well um, so coming on to um the discussion today about your beautiful um, poetry collection called Lost and Found. Um, now, before we hear some kind of examples of, of your work, um, I just wanted to get an idea for our listeners that what inspired you to start writing poetry? What inspired me? That, that's a good question because I think most creatives, not just poets, uh, struggle with this question because there's always been that innate desire to have a creative outlet or express ourselves creatively. And as far as I can remember, I've always had that creative energy, that imagination that needed to be somewhere. Um, but it, it took me about 16, 17 years. Uh, I think I'm, uh, when I was about 16, that's when the first poem in Lost and Found uh, collection was written. Uh, that would probably be the start of my journey. And it was probably inspired by uh, an English lesson. I hated English back then. Mm -hmm. And I'd attribute my journey into poetry to be kind of catalyzed by a specific poem in a specific lesson. I remember a teacher coming across, uh, showing me an anthology and asking us to go through this anthology, pick a single poem and write in that single style. 
And I remember taking this piece of advice home and, and homework and absolutely hating the idea of finding a poem and imitating that style. But then I came across a poem called Tichborne's Elegy, uh, which was written over 500 years ago. And that's a surprising thing about that poem. It's a poem that, you know, hasn't aged with time. And it still resonated with the 16-year-old Tahir back then mm. to the point where it almost inspired him almost directly to start his poetic journey. And, and, and the people listening to this will probably say, what kind of poem is this? Uh, but I, I think if, if we've got time, um, actually now, would, would it be possible to read it and, and probably elaborate on why this was a... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes, yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a history to the poem as well. So that's what I found fascinating at the time. So Chidiok Tichborn, who's the the poet in question, he was sentenced to to be executed the following day. And the reason uh, for the execution was because Catholicism, uh, so being Catholic, uh, that's, a t- uh, that's a word I can never pronounce, mm-hmm. <laughs> was uh, outlawed at the time. So any signs of activism, any sign of, uh, you know, promoting the faith was uh, outlawed entirely. And if you were caught, it's an almost immediate death sentence. And his cousin supposedly was embroiled in some sort of activist unit uh, promoting the Catholic faith. Uh, And as a cousin, he was kind of, you know, taken in through association and and sentence. Uh, So he was told the, the following day that he was to be executed. Uh, and as a poet and writer, what do they do in their final days? They obviously <laughs> write. Uh, so he, he wrote about the fragility of life. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it in such a profound way uh, and in a universal way that somebody 500 years later could read it and, and still resonate with it. And the poem goes something like this. He goes, the pro- my prime of youth is but a frost of cares. My feast of joy is but a dish of pain. My crop of corn is but a field of tears and my good is but vain hope of gain. The day is past and yet I saw no sun and now I live and now my life is done. My tale was heard and yet it was not told. My fruit is fallen and yet my leaves are green. My youth is spent and yet I am not old. I saw the world and yet I was not seen. My thread is cut and yet it was not spun. And now I live and now my life is done. I sought my death and found it in my womb. I looked for life and saw it was a shade. I trod the earth and knew it was my tomb. And now I die and now I was but made. The glasses fall and now the glasses run and now I live and now my life is done. Uh, so that's the poem um, that inspired a 16 year old me to pick up a pen. Um, and, and, and the reason I didn't pick up a pen beforehand is because I, w- I was disillusioned by poetry. It was, for me, it was full of, you know, middle-aged, um, that sounding blunt, uh, white men that I couldn't relate to. Um, and I was rarely shown a poet who came from a different background, struggled with the same struggles I did. Uh, but, but when I heard, uh, you know, when I read this poem, I was like, wow, you know, somebody can actually write about the truth in life, the fragility of life uh, and write it so beautifully at such a pivotal moment uh, in his life. And that kind of inspired me to, to use writing uh, as an outlet and an expression. Uh, and, and that's where the journey started, really. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely amazing. And you're right, that poem, I think, hits really, really deep. And I guess even more so, you know, if, like you said, if you, if you read that at the age of 16 and you're already kind of at that crossroads, aren't you, of, of you know, what's next and, you know, um, in terms of struggles and pressures, etc. So, no, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and maybe just to kind of expand on that a bit further. So what was it specifically about then that poetry, I guess, that from then on kind of appeal to you? So is it kind of the, the, the way it, it sounds or how do you think the expression through poetry is kind of different compared to, you know, the forms of writing? Um, with me, I've always struggled to articulate myself uh, verbally. Uh, so I, I know back when I was young, I always had these fascinating ideas, things I wanted to get across, but I had no idea how to articulate them in verbally whether it's it was speech or through writing and I, and I hated the idea of 
prose because it seemed really boring to a to a to a 16 year old version even though i was obsessed with books at the time um especially fantasy the fantasy genre it just the the return you know the reciprocation of the idea of reading books and then writing prose didn't you know appeal to me at the time Mm -hmm. but then I discovered like I discovered uh that initial poem I discovered I can distill ideas and concentrate them into um very short form that's just as powerful and I, I I developed this whole love for pattern making and metaphor exploring um and and that was why I chose poetry because I could you know fill fill them up with with, with metaphors and and things that are, you know extraordinary and imaginative where whereas with prose you know it's it's more difficult uh but then I, I did explore prose later on in life it's just it wasn't something that I uh was interested in to begin with it was just poetry uh, to kind of explore these ideas, the interrogations, the challenges, um, the identity crises uh, through a short form. And I think that was pivotal and, and, and a deciding factor for me to, to go through uh, and choose poetry, especially with the atten- with my attention span at the time was awful. So for me to sit down, <laughs> it's probably easier to sit down and write for an hour as opposed to write for multiple. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's it's really um, going back to what you said in terms of an English lesson, you know, inspiring you and, and actually, you know, a big role that, you know, teachers or education can play, maybe just take just that one lesson or what that one moment of, of kind of, um, I guess, almost like an epiphany, isn't it, despite, of, you know, what age you are, and then it's, it's great for that to then kind of, you know, continue to develop and, and now the book itself, um, the poetry collection that you have, it's called um, Lost and Found. Um, yeah. And I was just you know I kind of really love the title and, and I just wanted to know what do you hope um for your readers when you kind of when they read the, the title and also read the collection what feeling do you want them to have or what kind of message are, are they you know should be taking away from it I guess so for me lost and found is a journey um so uh, as most of you uh, whoever's read it could guess there's poems are scattered across timelines mm. um so it starts off when I was 16 and, and pretty much ends when I was 28 um and so it, it spans 12 years of poetry and normally a, a poetry collection has a theme uh, and and that poet normally writes to a theme mm. whereas because I started off my journey uh, scattered and just you know very excited about writing all these poems um, I had no theme that I stuck to at the time. So when I did complete uh, the collection, I had to sit down and look at what theme uh, emanates from the, po- uh, the poetry collection itself. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that half the poems were me grappling with the idea of uh, the self uh, and, and almost feeling lost. And then the other half was kind of finding myself uh, through poetry. Um, and so that's when, you know, it it came to light that this is a collection about, you know, a a poet or a child or at the time finding, uh, getting lost and finding himself through poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the idea behind the, the title. Mm -hmm. And it's also the overarching theme as well is because I'm constantly going back and forth kind of losing myself naturally through and I think that's a, a great metaphor analogy for life as well because we there isn't a time where we always get it right there's always a, a hiccup um, and an obstacle along the way and it's about finding yourself and finding God um, with the tools that God has given you. Yeah definitely and I think um, and I think you're right I you know love the idea of, of- you know, being on a journey because that is really an essence and, um, you know, what we're part of in terms of our existence and, um, you know, having read through, you know, the collection, definitely, you, you, you know, I got that feeling as well. Um, I mean, would you be happy to read um, the, because the lost and found is your opening poem um, of the book and then we can kind of discuss a little bit further. Would that be okay? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have the book in front of me, oh, okay. uh, unfortunately, but I can read uh, the first poem that came after Lost and Found. And oh, yeah, that's, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that, that's inspired by Lost and Found. So that was kind of uh, one of the book launch events. 
Mm. Um, so it's inspired by the whole theme of lost and found, and it's almost a culmination of all the ideas and all the poetry. Um, mm. So that would probably be uh, as fitting, uh, although mm. I should have my book in front of me. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd have to run up. But so this, po- this poem would probably be as good. It says, tell me God is nowhere to be seen, lost in the fragments of our dreams. When we feel his presence in both love and pain and every heartbeat in between, in seconds, in seasons, on shores and gills that are breathing in seas, tell me God is nowhere to be seen. When we find him in solitude, waiting at the bending of our knees, in prostration between hands, in his names, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, tell me God is nowhere to be seen. When we find him in hunger, in thirst, and the blessing of the reverse, in both abandoned rubble and the crowded synagogue, mosque and church in the circling of pilgrims and the planetary spinning of earth tell me god's presence does not come first tell me god cannot heal when he created both tears and the night to anesthetize the pain created time itself to declare him lord so anguish can gently be weighed made us bleed and showed us how scars are reminders of a previous day tell me god cannot heal in such subtle way. Tommy God does not wait at the end of life when all breath is exhausted and all thoughts are done, when the body can no longer fight back, climb back on its feet, and the soul can no longer keep up and looks to crawl free. Tommy God does not wait for our chains to unshackle, for our years to come to naught, for our final masks to unravel. Tommy, He does not wait like an ocean welcoming the sea, waiting for us to become and finally be. So that was the the poem. No, Masha, that was absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And I guess, you know, so much, um, you touch upon so much in that poem and I'm, it's making me really want to ask, I guess, that what role does your faith play in terms of your writing? Because, um, you know, it's something that, def- you know, definitely comes through. And, and you know, it's kind of coming back to what you said in, in the sense that being younger and not seeing, you know, the works and writing and books, you know, written by people that maybe we can kind of... Um, relate to or things that resonate with us and you know for me to read your book I definitely felt you know um that I did that um so yeah so just to come back to the question what role does does your faith play in in your writing um it, I think it plays the biggest role in, in my writing um a lot of people and a lot of poets get into writing to begin with uh because it's an exploration of a topic or a theme um, that they're very passionate about. And as a, as a Muslim, I think the most passionate thing we can be about is, is our faith, uh, our relationship with God. Um, and, and before I get into that, I've actually found the, poem, the, 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 the opening poem. So I'll read that as well, just for the listeners to get an understanding uh, as we go through this journey together. So the poem starts with the words wade. So wade into every line of my poetry, like walking through a lucid dream. Witness my soul slipping into the whiteness of the paper. Feel it struggle, see it sink. Watch it get lost, then found by ink. See my journey trapped in rhyme and see the scars frozen in time with enough syllables to tangle a spider in his own web, forever getting lost in the maze of the world, but always finding my way back by tracing its spherical edges with words. Um, so yeah, another that, that initial poem, again, pretty much summarizes the, the book uh, as a whole. But to answer your question about um, my relationship with my faith and how that informs my poetry, I think for me, it's the biggest inspiration. Um, and, and I've had this discussion with non-Muslims as well when I, when I was doing my master's in creative writing and poetry, because a lot of them struggle for what they call material. Mm-hmm. Um, so the poetry itself, uh, they've got the, the tool sets to write incredible poetry. Um, and they and once they've got a topic at hand, it's almost, you know, autopilot for a lot of these great poets, but mm-hmm. they don't have the raw material. And that's normally, you know, given in the form of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they they find it hard to be inspired and that's why writer's block is is a very common thing amongst all types of creators but I felt like when I was in that circle it was more prevalent amongst them because they didn't have anything to write about Mm -hmm. uh and they and they always questioned my material as in it seems to you know consistently come uh and that they always inquired about whether I get writers because like yeah I do get writers block but there's so much about my faith and so much about my god that it always and constantly inspires me to write um and i think we have that blessing as muslim writers uh but at the same time it's never been appreciated by the mainstream uh literature world and uh, uh poetry world uh, and that's been a debate i've had with a lot of academics as well mm-hmm. and their conclusion uh to be diplomatic from it their end is that because there's a disconnect because obviously you have people that understand the references you provide in your poetry about your faith and they understand the feeling of being faithful uh, and and being of a religion and a wider ummah and and then when you try to relate you know when you try to kind of introduce this poetry to a non-muslim perhaps these feelings do not pre-exist for them to resonate with uh, and maybe the metaphors fall short because they don't have anything to you know uh set as foundations and understanding and and i appreciate that comment uh, and i guess that's right and maybe that's why a lot of muslim poets have struggled to to have their um the the poetry uh given a, a you know a pedestal in, in the mainstream world uh but with the same token i feel like there's a uni- universal nature to our faith uh to the understanding that we have uh about god and, and our relationship with god that that anybody irrespective of faith could resonate with uh, and we've slowly started to see that um but uh, there there i felt there has been a genuine censorship um on all types of faith poetry in the last 3 4 decades whereas the high uh, if you look at the classical english poets they're all based on faith poetry uh your wordsworths and 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 the keats and the yeats uh, they're all poets that are very religious uh ts eliot uh you know ended up becoming a um um a noble laureate and, and and her poetry is was based on uh faith as well so there was a there was a time where faith poetry was revolutionary and then there's been, been a censorship and i don't know if that's a secular nature of the world at the moment where it's tried to distance poetry from faith uh but we uh, as as a muslim poet i strive to bring that back and also bring the universal nature of faith poetry back into the mainstream where everyone can read my poem uh, hopefully inshallah and still resonate with it to a level um i think there's there's plenty of opportunities like that for muslim poets to thrive Yeah definitely and I think um you know it's such an important intention I think to have what you're saying in terms of faith poetry and, and bringing it into the mainstream and I definitely agree I mean even working within the arts sector there's definitely been um kind of a secularization of um a lot of that and you know faith or any sort of um affiliation to it is sometimes is you know looked down upon um so I think it's yeah I completely you know echo what you're saying in terms of um bringing that back and kind of emphasizing it as well um I was also thinking from you know from what you said in terms of um you know maybe modern day writing not having that reflection but obviously we know for example even in the quran there's a whole chapter which is called the poets you know and and the quran itself at the time of revelation the reason it was recognized to be the word of god is because of its kind of a it was the pinnacle of kind of poetic form and obviously yeah. we know all those words are even you know beyond that but you know so there's so much importance there and and um Do you also feel that you know so there's on one hand maybe people who of no faith or don't kind of subscribe to religion um do you also think there's a struggle even in our own communities as well in terms of being a writer being a poet or artist um and what do you think we can do to kind of um encourage that you know for for other young people as well Yeah no there's definitely a struggle I remember when I first came onto the scene um 
uh, coming from an Arab household, which uh, Arabic is, is almost rich in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, my parents, <laughs> they didn't, I wouldn't say they looked down upon English poetry, but they didn't understand the importance of it because for them, you know, Arabic is such a rich language. Why not, you know, develop your Arabic and, and write Arabic poetry? And I wasn't capable of doing that. I was a second generation immigrant. My Arabic was very weak. Um, if I started to practice Arabic for 100 years, I wouldn't be able to write uh, poetry in Arabic. So for me, there was uh, not a void. Uh, there, 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 was, there was a need for people to express themselves in their second language. And I think that needs to be accepted by um, us, our community, um, whether Muslim or otherwise, uh, and accept that there's a space out there for people to express themselves, to express the struggles they have, whether it's a struggle with their, you know, their background, the struggle with their faith, uh, and and that there's a beautiful outlet called poetry for that. Uh, and that's the whole point of uh, poetry, to express yourself in a beautiful manner where others um, can can relate. Uh, so I do encourage everybody uh, to to pick up a pen and, and see where, how far you could go with that. Brilliant. Thank you so much for, for that advice and encouragement. Um, so that is the um, end of um, the first half of the show. We are approaching a break um, and we will be back in a short few moments. So assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the Book Club Show on Inspire 105.1 FM. My name is Imrana Mahmood and today we are discussing a poetry collection called Lost and Found by Tahir Adil. Um, and in the first half, we were talking a little bit about um, what inspired um, Tahir's writing in terms of being a poet um, and spoken word artist. Um, he shared some beautiful poetry with us from the collection um, as well and also talked a little bit about um, this idea of I guess we can kind of call it representation in terms of, you know, being um, young and not maybe seeing certain writing that was kind of reflective of our own experiences. And also the importance of faith poetry and how important it is to try to bring that back into the mainstream. And Dar is doing an amazing job um, of doing that already. Um, now, to start the second half of the show, um, I think it'd be really lovely to have, um, to welcome Dar back uh, to share um another poem which is called Heart. Um, so Tahir, if you're happy to do that, it'd be lovely to hear it please. Yeah sure. Um, so this poem uh, as you said is titled Heart. Heart, a piece of flesh given you to play the drum to the beat of life until childhood passes and the notes are gone and there it is weak and rough still and cold trying to remember its childhood song. So it's a very short poem, but it touches upon the theme of the hearts. Yeah, so no, Marshall, I thought, you know, sometimes it can be the short ones that are really kind of deep and profound. And, you know, I really did like this when I read it. And I mean, for me personally, it kind of made me think about like the passing of time. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, the, the idea of, of I, I, maybe death as well, because it, it was kind of really touching upon um, those things. Um, do you think it's kind of important for us as a you know, society to think more about um, this in terms of, you know, our, um, yeah, in terms of our existence and the limitation of it as well, I guess? Yeah, no, I think we, we as a society, uh, especially my generation and the younger generations, we, we don't tend to kind of reflect uh, much on our inner nature if that makes sense. Uh, we're, we're so bogged down with life, uh, the distractions around us that oftentimes, you know, taking a moment to reflect, um, even if it means not writing anything, just, just simply reflecting is worthwhile uh, because that's, you know, how we were created. Uh, and, and if we were to understand or we are to understand our relationship with our creator, then we first have to understand uh, more about ourselves, what makes us tick.
topic, um, our fragilities, uh, what makes us, you know, divide creations, if, if anything. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so these are all questions that we should sit down with ourselves uh, at one point and reflect. And we don't need to find, you know, a scenic place to do this. We could do this, you know, sitting down right here. Um, but yeah, no, I've struggled with reflecting before and, and, and it took me ages as a as a teenager to just sit down with myself and and ask and ask these questions. And I managed to ask these questions through the form of poetry. And I'm sure other people could ask these questions through other forms. Um, but yeah, no delving into the deeper nature of of our being is is important for everyone to do, uh, because we often do it when everything is stripped away, when we're tested mm-hmm. with our illness. Uh, so, so these come, these uh, reflections come naturally when we're ill, for instance, or when we're broken, or, or you know, when something's happened that you know introduced a drastic uh, measure in our life. That's when we start to reflect. But we shouldn't wait for those moments. We should, you know, initiate them automatically. Whether it's visiting a graveyard uh, to reflect about death, or whether it's to sit down with yourself and reflect about your heart, your soul, your nefs. Uh, so there's a there's a lot of things we could do when it comes to reflections, um, and it doesn't just need to be in in moments of prayer or moments of need. Um, so yeah, that that's my take on the idea of you know self exploration. Yeah, and it's you know it, I think what you've kind of said in terms of um, taking that time out to pause and reflect, and obviously when we're young. I think you're right we don't always get to do that because there's all these other pressures in terms of you know education or work and you know family etc and actually how important it is to to um, take time out for it and and coming back to what you said a little bit earlier in terms of um, you know the, the role that your faith plays as well and the idea of even just being in nature and we know that you know all our signs are within nature itself so even if it's yeah I guess you know whilst you're walking and you might spot something you know so there's so many different I guess in inspiration that you can take from you know as well that you mentioned earlier um and just to link it um obviously to, to another short poem that you've written because it's something you just touched upon which is called soul um i guess i was you know thinking uh, having read that poem that some people again you know who might not subscribe to um a particular faith um sometimes struggle in conversations that i've had in you know about what the soul is or whether there you know is it is there an existence of a soul? Why do you think there is that kind of struggle to, to kind of accept that concept, um, so to speak? Um, that's an interesting question and they're probably best place to answer this themselves. But from the conversations mm-hmm. that I've had mm-hmm. is if you question the idea of a soul or if you start to believe in the idea of a soul, then you start to believe in the idea of a greater uh, more infinite being because a soul is an idea that is almost infinite in its nature it's it's, it's a bit it's, it's an entity stuck inside a limited being right mm-hmm. um so now that opens up a whole kind of worm of questions um because if we are to to be born as limited beings and die as limited beings then what is the point of the soul um so, so I guess that's why some people struggle with the idea mm-hmm. because the soul is almost proof that we are here on this earth temporarily and that the soul is the true nature of our being and that true nature, you know, lives eternally um, and it's connected to our higher being. Uh, so I think there's a lot of questions uh, that remain unanswered if they believe or accept the idea of a soul. And, and that's why it's, it's a struggle for many to kind of wrap their heads around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost easier for, 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 for a person coming from a, you know, mm. a place of faith to accept the idea of a soul and even the idea of a soul. And I've written about the soul many a times. Um, so you've got different types of what soul is. Uh, so the, the, the word ruh, for instance, mm-hmm. um, has many meanings in the Arabic language. Um, and there's almost a kind of trinity uh, between the heart, the soul and the nefs, which is the, the self Um the heart, which is the qalb, and the ruh, which is the, the soul. Um, and I've written about the kind of Arabic etymology of the word in po- poetic forms because I've, I've always been fascinated about the three, especially about the heart uh, and how it acts as a, a med- almost a mediator between the soul and, and the self. Um, and 
but they all act together. And, and we often look down on, on, on the self uh, because of its primitive nature and our understanding of the self. And that's where most of our, so the nest, most of our kind of base desires come from it. And then you've got the, the qalb, which is the, like I said, it acts as, I think in another poet, poem might refer to it as the, the heart of the heart, mm-hmm. uh, because it acts in, the, in a similar way to our physical heart but um it mimics that in a more spiritual uh, divine level so it kind of acts it cleanses so the same way a heart would you know uh, would initiate and work with the lungs to to bring deoxygenated blood and return uh, with oxygenated blood the the qalb the in the kind of metaphysical sense uh, does the same it mediates between the the uh, the base self which is the the nafs uh, and speaks to the soul the ruh and the ruh is is a, is a, is almost connected to divine matter and that's the islamic interpretation and commentary on what a soul is uh but yeah the the hand that you know mediates between the two is the heart and that's why it's important we get our hearts right because if if it's not capable of doing that job then like a physical heart isn't capable of you know sustaining our body then uh our kind isn't uh, capable of sustaining our soul and, and helping us reach the hereafter in a good state mm, yes absolutely and it's that kind of um connection to the divine and and it, it's those layers isn't it where um we believe in obviously an infinite great greater being we believe in that kind of the spiritual aspect of things the spiritual heart and I think that was what was interesting in that poem that you mentioned where you kind of mentioned um the heart of the heart and it really did yeah made me think um about that kind of nature of the heart as well so thank you so much for kind of sharing that insight um you you talked a little bit about obviously um the, the self in terms of um the kind of I guess you know the, the ego and when we talk about things like that as well um one of your um poems which is called the fallen um that kind of explores themes of I guess loss you know regret um despair almost I mean I definitely got a sense of that when I was reading it um is that something you'd be happy to to read um for the yeah. listeners and then maybe we could talk a little bit about you know some, some of the things that you kind of touch on it as well yeah, it's a very interesting poem, so I'm glad you picked that one up. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fallen. He started off as the closest in orbit, the biggest star in the perpetual rhythm of worship, swimming through a sea of constellations, orbiting the oneness until he was too grand, too far and too bright to see the flicker of pride light up the match to his wings, until all that was left was darkness and ashes, and that's how he became known as the Fallen. Now he is a black hole, his core is dark where it was once light, a rogue sun, a tainted nebula all-consuming. His arms are invisible, his whispers are silent yet penetrative. His darkness reels us in, feasting on our desires, pulling us into his universe and out of ours. By weakening the gravitational pull of our childhood, the pure rope to the oneness, now we spiral down. No rope or safety net. The rogue sun drags us in, drags us down and into the nothingness where we hope to climb out. But all we find are deep craters of sin. Now we too are fallen. I have to say that it's probably my favorite from the collection. There's something about it that is so, um, I don't know, I can't even explain actually, but. It is a great, it is a great poem. And, and like I said, obviously it's that feeling of, of despair and, you know, the idea of, of falling. And, and, you know, I wonder also if how much of it is kind of related to, um, we talk about this, you know, to the story of Iblis, you know, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, it, it, I think the poem, it, you managed to encapsulate so much into it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know anything that you want to kind of elaborate on. I mean, I know my question was kind of specifically in terms of the ego, but, you know, whatever you think might be, um, yeah, no, no, yeah I, th- I think that's how the poem start. I remember writing this poem because we've always liked to think good of ourselves. But in a lot of examples that we use about our ego, we never ever compare ourselves to Satan and Iblis himself, which is, is a scary thing to think about, right? You know, mm. comparing yourself to the most evil being uh, ever created. But the Quran reminds us that Satan started in a place of worship. He, in fact, he was the, almost, you know, biblically accepted the greatest worshipper uh, at, at, at the time. 
um, and, and he worshipped God for thousands and thousands, if not more, years. And, and all it took was one in the poem refers to one flicker of pride mm-hmm. to light up a match to his wings. And that's when he started his journey to falling. Um, so that made me think, and I was like, what if the greatest parallel, the greatest example for ourselves and ego is actually Satan himself. And all it takes is something we declare so, you know, so small. Uh, and and in the Quran, when you read about Satan and his reaction to uh, Prophet Adam, um, uh, you you see that he's in, he's almost in disbelief that God has ordained this and that God has told him to bow down uh, as if it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of us, uh, when it comes to ego, we think, you know, us, you know, reducing and, and uh, ourselves and being humble doesn't make any sense. And, and then that's where the lesson is. When you see no sense in it, that's when you should humble yourself even more because, you know, it doesn't need to make sense. Um, being, you know, uh, a lot of the time people assume that, you know, you, ha- you can be humble and, you know, introduce humility to your life as long as it makes sense. But what if it doesn't make sense? What if, you know, we should be humble, irrespective and lower ourselves, irrespective of what we think is right and what we think is, you know, beneath us. Um, so, yeah, that's where the parallel started. And, and like you said, you know, I introduced the whole metaphor of a black hole mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, the sun and the stars um they start their journeys uh, as uh, as nebulas and and stars and eventually they break down until they become black holes and black holes end up sucking everything around them uh, so he was raised to a point of a star uh, and there was nothing as powerful in worship than satan himself then he lost all that to the point where he has the opposite impact now on everything around him and everything that comes close to him. Uh, and that was the whole uh, theme of the poem. Um, and, and that's what I was trying to explore in a very different way. Um, but yeah, no, um, I've always, you know, been hesitant about writing <laughs> about beliefs because I was like, where, where, where can I place him in my poetry? Uh, but then I thought a good idea would be exploring his entire nature and, and, his, and how he came to be. And then you realize oftentimes in our lowest, we have more, you know, more in common with him, unfortunately, than, than we'd like to say and admit to. But I think that admission can help us evade and escape the same trap that, you know, Satan fell into and Iblis fell into. Yeah, no, it's a definitely, it's a powerful, powerful reminder. And, you know, um, and I think you're right. It's just about having that as an example. And, and like you said, um, making sense of something that doesn't make sense is kind of the pinnacle of faith because that is yeah. where we're most tested. And <clears throat> so I think, no, that's, that's, you know, it's a lot to think about, a lot of food for thought. So thank you. Um, so I think that my next question, um, I'm just going to pause a minute while I... One second. So um, one of, uh, there's another poem that you've written, um, which again, you know, like I said before, you managed to um, write about different themes and different topics, which I think what, what makes Lost and Found the Poetry Collection so, you know, amazing to, to read. And there's so much, I guess, that I learned from reading it as well. Um, now there's one interesting one called Filter. Um, and it made me, actually, before I say what it made me think about, if you'd be um, so kind as to um, read it so our listeners can, um, yeah, just just to have a listen and we can discuss things further. Sure. Filter. If you could see with my eyes and filter the world through my lashes, you'll see how the light precedes the dark, how fire becomes but ashes, how the moon is but a soft white glow, a reflection of a burning light. You'd wonder how you live so long with that same blanket. If you could hear what I hear filter through the vibrations of my bones, ignoring the sounds I loiter on the tongue in life's repetitive tones, you'll hear the sound of creation and the murmurs of our existence. And you'll wonder why your ears couldn't hear through the distance. If you could feel what I feel filter through the folded creases of my finger, placing your heart between those palms upon the scars, let them linger. You'll see your soul intertwine and manifest with the, within each beat of your being. Now you wonder how, why, and what you're not seeing. So yes, that is the poem filter written 12 years ago now, 2010. I mean, what's really amazing actually about the collection is because it's spanning such a, um, you know, long um time in terms of you know your own journey and I think it's really interesting to be able to have that all in in one collection and um 
I think, you know, as a reader, you can kind of sense that as well. And when, you know, because you've dated all the poems as well, which is, I think, um, really, really interesting. It kind of gives a little bit of insight, I guess, into where maybe your mind was, which is, which is always really great when you can do that as a reader. Um, yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And, and I mean, that, that poem specifically filter, um, there, there is something about, um, you know, and it's, maybe we touched upon it earlier as well about pausing and, and the, the need of silence sometimes, but, you know, it was making me think that we're in a day and age now in terms of like technological advancement and constantly plugged into kind of cyberspace. So how do you think, or what do you think we can do to filter out that noise, you know, to cultivate that quiet time? Um, I think we discussed this a little bit earlier as well. It's, um, it's about finding the time and in particular the space to sit down with yourself. I struggle with distractions, uh, whether it's a phone, TV, work, um, other life's distractions as well. And especially after becoming a father, you start to add different distractions, uh, more beautiful distractions to your life, um, noisier distractions to your life. Uh, but it's just finding that time and space. Um, and I've struggled with that. So I wouldn't be the best to to give advice, but what's helped me in my poetic practice, that's also helped me in finding that time and space to reflect, is dedicating time uh, that's almost on repeat, a recurring time in your, in, in your weekly timetable where you sit down and you decide to write. In my, in, in my instance, it would be writing, but it can just simply be sitting down and reflecting um, away from uh, all life's distractions. And, 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 it has, and, and for me, it has to be something that is away from worship as well. So you've got your worship time and you've got your distraction time, let's say whether it's TV or whatever it is, and you've got your family time, uh, your work time, but there should be a separate time for just thinking mm-hmm. and kind of grounding yourself. Um, I know somebody that kind of literally takes off their shoes and, and grounds themselves with, with any local near grass uh, and, and that's their time to sit down with themselves. So everyone has their own practice in, um, in terms of how they find that peace and quiet. But I think it's very helpful, especially we're, we're in a day and age where mental health is kind of very turbulent. Mm-hmm. struggle with it to a degree and even if we don't we might do uh, so finding that peace and quiet uh, now is, is probably important uh, and if you've got an outlet uh, a creative outlet that you could you know use in tandem with this peace and quiet time then that is even better because it jutting down your thoughts uh, whether it's journaling writing uh, or, write, or simply writing poetry mm-hmm. kind of aids that process because you start to think more clearly more vividly um, and you get to you know ask questions uh, speak to your creator so the, it could be anything really that for me some days um, it's just simple simply a conversation between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and that comes in the form of poetry uh, other times it's just reflecting on the fragility of my life and the fragility of those around me at any moment you know something could happen and and there's been times where that's exactly what has happened and sometimes it's just sitting down with uh, with a thought that's happened over the past week and and realizing where that thought comes from mm-hmm. uh, and why you have this depressing thought or happy thought uh, because life is, is fleeting and, and it's almost as fleeting as thoughts themselves so reflecting on the on the nature of your thinking mm-hmm. is also very important um, but yeah no no we're in the age of tiktok right now so yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everybody and anybody struggles to find that time but i do really encourage it um and i only get my time maybe you know an hour a week mm. uh and i think for me that's enough to keep me afloat yeah. um but for a lot of people because they they see it's not about having no desire to for a long time they see no no purpose for it mm-hmm. so for me the purpose is to kind of write uh but at the end of the day that is not the full purpose whereas other people need to find purpose for this time uh, and just say you know what it's very important for my mental health to have this time and that's how it starts. And, and if they make it a habit, then God knows where, where, where that takes you. And mm-hmm. um, we've got we've got a hadith out there that says, I think an hour of reflection is worth, I don't know how much in terms of prayer. And that just, uh, that just shows you the importance of reflecting and reflecting on the, the nature of creation and, and being really. Yeah, and I, I think I you know liked what you said in terms of the importance of taking that time out, but then also recognizing that, 
just pondering and, and, and kind of contemplating can also be, you know, an act of worship. Obviously, you've done with yeah. the right intentions, so that's really important. And, you know, um, I mean, we are approaching the um, end of the show, and it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, talking to you about your book, um, Lost and Found. Um, I guess the last question really for our listeners is <clears throat> where they can um, follow you in terms of your work and where they can actually um, get a hold of their own copy of the book as well. Yeah, um, so... The first answer in terms of where they can get a copy of Lost and Found, it's available on Amazon and a number of other online retailers. Um, so they'll just need to search my name and Lost and Found uh, and they'll, they'll be able to grab a copy. Um, and my Instagram, Twitter handle uh, and all social media handles um, are Words by Tahar. So that's at Words by Tahar and they'll find me on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, although I don't post much on Facebook, there is an automated uh, post on Facebook. So whenever I post on Instagram, it kind of sends it to Facebook as well. Uh, but I, I'm also you know, excited to, to mention that I will uh, be uh, releasing four new books in the upcoming year, hopefully uh, towards the end of 2022 and the start of 2023. Three. So Lost and Found was, a, you know, kind of a collection of all my raw, but almost unedited, because a lot of people mentioned this, um, because they, they were like, you know, because they're so old, did he go back and edit the poems? Uh, and in most cases, I didn't, because I, I wanted to see that journey and how it started, and I could look back at it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so th- that first collection, Lost and Found, is raw, unedited poetry. Mm-hmm. And the next four collections uh, are separate into kind of s- s- different themes. So one is called I Don't Know What Language I Dream In, which is a book of poetry about the Arabic language and how I struggle with my mother tongue. And it also looks at faith as well. So it's all tied in. Um, and, and that is to be published by a mainstream publisher. Um, and, and the second book is called uh, The Names, which look at, again, Arabic words. Um, and there's there's the uh, names of God, the 99 names of God, which will become a book as well this year. Uh, so that whoever's followed me on Instagram will, will have seen me post these. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is all being collated and being turned into a book. Uh, but yeah, these are these are going to be very edited pieces mm-hmm. of poems that focus on the art form of poetry mm-hmm. as opposed to the the raw nature of poetry but then you'll 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 find very beautiful poems mm-hmm. uh in all all the collections that are to come inshallah um but you yeah, know i think that the next four collections that are to be released are very different to lost and found and, and people will appreciate them for for a different reason um but you yeah, know i'm i'm very excited about that and, and the journey in the next year or so yeah i'm excited to hear that that's wonderful um i can't wait to to get i guess a hold of, of the books and inshallah have you back on it'd be wonderful to have you back on and, and, and yeah. talk about some of um you know your your new books out there thank you so so much um Daha for today and for your time and for sharing you know your beautiful uh, poetry from lost and found um so in terms of our listeners please you know i highly highly recommend that you get yourselves a, a copy it's brilliant obviously i know we're approaching the end of ramadan but you know as a reflection um just taking time out dipping in and out of the books and obviously um you know watch this space as well in terms of Daha's new books um but inshallah i will be back in a couple of weeks with um a new guest and a new book and in the meantime please do keep us in your du'as and um i hope you have um a lovely lovely eid assalamu alaikum thank you for listening to our podcast why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefm luton